Good day, my friends. Thanks so much for tuning back into the podcast. Today, I have a story time episode from a few years ago that I have re-edited and put back out for your enjoyment. Now, this story time contains three real-life short stories that are about some of the crazy shit that I encountered at the Boston Conservatory of Music in the mid-1970s. I think you will be amused and probably shocked. There is also a great fourth story, an almost unbelievable story about an acting class that I took. In today's world, the drama teacher would probably spend a bit of time in jail for this, but being back in the mid-1970s, he got away with it. That story is called The Drama Teacher's Underwear, and you can find that on an older Gay Guy Show's YouTube channel. Just scroll down through the videos to find it. It is a ways down, but I will also put a link to the Drama Teacher's Underwear Storytime video down in the show notes. I do just want to mention before we get started that for the entire month of July, I will be doing my annual sweeps period. And this year, it will be almost all story times, which will be re-edited episodes that I had previously removed during my big sexual content purge. All I will ask of your kindness is that during that 31-day period, the month of July, that you vote for me in the podcast awards. Now, the voting can't start until July 1st, and I will give you heads up and instructions how to vote for me in the next few episodes. I hope if you do enjoy this show that you will support me by taking five minutes to vote for the show in the podcast awards. And again, that will all start July 1st. And I will have the conclusion of Sleeping Bearest, my story time part that will talk about a very hot guy that came and stayed for a month during my last summer as a youth up on the lake in Maine. That will be quite an intriguing story. So please look for that as the first episode in Sweeps. I am Joey Hernandez. And you are listening to an older Gay Guy Show podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This show is a proud member of the Pride 48 Podcasting Network. Check out more great shows at pride48.com. So today, my friends, I have three true tales that happened to me while I was at the Boston Conservatory of Music. Now, this was the 1970s, and it was really a very, very different world back then, because some of what I'm going to tell you about could never, never be allowed in today's cancel culture society that we have. But back then, teachers and professors could get away with a hell of a lot more. 
as you will hear in these stories. And additionally, I am putting a fourth story, a most unbelievable story about a drama teacher that could have gotten his ass thrown in prison, probably, for quite a while over this. That fourth story, titled The Drama Teacher's Underwear, is now available on an Older Gay Guy Show's YouTube channel. You do have to scroll down a bit through the videos to find it. But you will absolutely love that story with all its lurid and shocking details. So check that out on an Older Gay Guy Show YouTube channel. So now, without any further ado, let me take you back to the 1970s at the Boston Conservatory of Music. So this first story I am titling The Asshole Conductor. Now I've talked a little bit about my experiences at the Boston Conservatory of Music. It was something that I had been looking forward to throughout high school. I knew exactly where I wanted to go to school. And to be honest with you, I did not belong there. At least not in a serious way as a music person. And I was trained properly voice-wise, but the thing was I was a piano minor, and I've talked about in the past about how my piano teacher taught me this weird, <laughs> simplistic method of how to play any song, basically, as long as you know the melody line and the chords. She said, oh, don't worry about the left-handed music. <laughs> That's with a different clef, and it's all, you know, it's harder to memorize, and don't even pay attention to that. You can just use chords. So I learned to play the piano that way, and still, to this day, that is the way that I play the piano. It sounds okay, but it's not the way the music is written at all. So when I got to the Boston Conservatory, I was really out of my element, because how do you be a piano minor and you can't play anything with your left hand? It was, it was pretty jarring. So my first year, I was a voice major piano minor. My second year, I changed and became a musical theater major. My third year, the first half of it, I was a musical theater major. The second half of my third year, I went back to voice and piano and then I dropped out. Uh, at that point, my mother had been dead and life was not going very well and I was drinking a lot and all kinds of shit. So I was not a good student there, but I did my best. I, I did my best to try to keep up and uh, it was a losing battle. But one of the things that you had to do if you were in the music department or the musical theater department if you were training your voice, whether it be with a private teacher or whether it be with classes or whatever, you had to belong to the Boston Conservatory of Music Chorus, which was this big, huge chorus of several hundred people. And then you also had all of the people that were studying instruments in the orchestra that played for accompaniment of the chorus. So it was like a whole school thing that would go on. So I went there my freshman year. I was living at the conservatory in one of the dorms, 
and I had made some friends, and we were hanging out together, and we would go, and we would go to these choral practices together. And where we had it is we had it in the basement in this huge, huge room. It was just the chorus that would be practicing that put us with the orchestra at another time when we, you know, learned the music and were able to, you know, perform pretty good. So it was all the voice people, again, several hundred people, probably 200 people at least. And there was a conductor who was probably in his early, maybe even mid-80s. He had been at the conservatory for a couple decades, and it was rumored, like everybody talked about this, that this teacher was in a concentration camp. So, you know, now I'm talking to you about the late 70s. He had been at the conservatory for about 20 years, so late 50s. Prior to that, of course, in the middle of the 1940s, he was in a concentration camp. And supposedly, he ratted out some of his friends and family to the Nazis, and therefore he received better treatment. That was the rumor that everybody talked about. So, we all get together. The first day, eh, everything you know is new. We're, we've just been presented the music. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out you know our parts and how to harmonize and all of that. And so that was just like a madhouse. But by the third or fourth rehearsal, we were settling down to be able to do the music. And the uh, instructor, the conductor, had a pianist accompaniment so that we could have some sort of background music so that, you know, we could follow the music, stay on key, all that stuff. And it was this young black girl who I think was a junior at that time. So she had advanced enough that she was actually able to be the piano accompaniment for the entire chorus to rehearse. So she was very, very good. She was a very quiet young girl. And starting with maybe the third or fourth rehearsal, we're all singing along and she's playing her part. And the conductor, the conductor was always pissed off. He was always in a foul mood. He was not a nice man at all. And he'd be conducting and he'd stop and say, no, no, play it right. Play it right. And he'd go back and he'd do that part again. No, no, that's not how you, you know how to play. You know how to play. He had an accent. Sorry, I'm going to throw in a little accent here. So this poor girl would be sitting there and she was really being yelled at and called out on the carpet about this. And how she continued, she never had a reaction. She sat there with a stone cold face and played. And if he said, do it again, do it again, do it again, she would just keep doing it until she got it to a point where he liked it. And I was really respectful of that, that she could do that, because I don't think that I would have been able to had the roles been reversed. But as we went along and we got to know the music better, he would still be frustrated if she was not holding a note long enough or, you know, she missed his cue somehow. And he'd be conducting, the chorus would be singing, and you could start hearing him. And I'm going to use some language here that I would never normally use, but this is what happened at that time. 
So he'd be conducting and under his breath, but you could hear it. I mean, I was sitting across the room and I could hear him under his breath. He started saying, pig me, pig me, fucking pig me, do it right. And he'd be conducting. Then he'd stop and say, do it right, do it right. And she'd start again and he'd be like, pig me, pig me, pig me, fucking pig me. And I'm sitting there and my, like, I stopped singing and my jaw dropped like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And I thought, well, okay, you know, he's always in a lousy mood. (laughs) He's never nice to anybody. So maybe he's just having, for him, what's a bad day? But again, this, this poor girl, this sweet poor girl just sat there and she just refused to let it affect her. I'm sure it was internally, but she was sitting straight and she was doing everything she could without emotion attached to his words. And the next rehearsal, same thing. Pick me, pick me, pick me. And he'd like throw his his um, conductor wand. <laughs> I can't think of what the damn thing is. Conductor's wand across the room. And he hit like the wall. And this girl, again, just sat there. And so in between songs, as we were changing music, I I would say to my friends, do you hear what he's saying? And they're like, yeah, he's he's calling her a pygmy. And I'm like, what the fuck? How that poor girl is sitting there doing the very best she can. She's a very, very good pianist. And look what he's doing to her. He's terrorizing her. And one more rehearsal, and I'm like, okay, I'll just like if she can handle it, I'm, uh, it's her business. I'll just kind of deal with it. And so we started doing it again, and she made a few mistakes, and he made her do it again, do it again. But he was being nasty, but not calling our names or anything. And then about halfway through, he was just really frustrated. And he picked up the music stand where he had the music and he slammed it back down onto the floor. And he screamed, pig me, fucking pig me. And like the whole room became completely silent. And I got up and I walked out and I went up to the uh, chancellor's office. And I said, I, I have to talk to you about a really serious situation. I said, you know, we have the chorus. This guy has been there forever. This wonderful girl who's very good at accompanying. But if it's not exactly the way he wants, he's, he's calling her a pygmy. He's saying fucking pygmy over and over again. And the chancellor just took a breath in and exhaled and said, yeah, I know that's, um, that's him. And I said, you can't let this go on. And he's like, the end of the semester is coming up. You're not going to have chorus and she's not going to be the accompanist. Uh, He's going to move on working with the orchestra and you won't have to deal with him. And she's not going to be the pianist in the orchestra. And I'm like, but still, how can you let that go on like that? And I got nowhere. And so I defiantly went back to the next rehearsal and I moved my seat up and I sat two rows back on an aisle where I could look right at him. And I don't think the girl was very happy that I had said something and I probably should have kept my mouth shut. It wasn't my place. (sighs) But I felt so bad for this poor girl. And just the fact that she was just so capable of letting it roll off her 
And I talked to her after that class. And I said to her, how can you let him talk to you like that? And she's like, you know, he doesn't talk to me that way when we're not working. She said, he's pleasant to me. He just gets very frustrated. And I said, yeah, well, there's frustration and and, and it's going far beyond it. And they didn't do anything about it. Unfortunately, the semester ended. They started working with the orchestra on the next semester. And then we all got together and did a few concerts. And she was not a part of that. But it just shows you how far society has come. Because can you just imagine, he wouldn't have been spoken to. He wouldn't have had a write-up you know, in his file. He would have been thrown out of the fucking school for saying such a thing. But in the 70s, you get away with things like that. The dance belt adjustment. So one of the things we had to do if you were a musical theater major at Boston Conservatory of Music is we all had to take drama. We had to take singing classes. We had to take... I don't know if you can hear my dog, Chumley. What's the matter, Chumley? We had to take tap dance classes, and we had to take ballet classes. What? What do you want? Tell me. What? What's that mean? Tell me what. Really? Is that true? He's so cute. And... Okay, shh. I'm trying to do a show here. And needless to say, most of the guys that were taking a musical theater major had not really had any experience in dancing. Some knew some tap dance, but the guys just never learned ballet. It wasn't something that we studied as we, you know, went through school and got ready to go to a school like this that offered a musical theater major. So the dance for the guys was really lacking. So we all had to take a basic ballet class. And they had all the guys just by themselves to take this class, and they had the women done separately. Women usually had more experience at it. Those of us that were guys were extremely clumsy. We barely could do any of the moves. And in preparation for the class, we had to buy certain things. We had to have white tights that we wore. We had to have some sort of ballet shoe. I'm not sure what it was. And we had to have a dance belt. Now, I did not know what a dance belt was prior to me getting it for this class. And what it is, is it's a tight garment, an elastic kind of garment that's a cross between a girdle and a jock strap. It's supposed to hold a guy's junk in place so that you have a nice, smooth, round front to you. So you don't see your dick going down to the left or down to the right. This holds you in place so that, theoretically, you're not going to have as conspicuous a crotch than if you were just going with the tights and your dick and balls were just shoved into the tights. The way you're supposed to wear a dance belt, which we did not know at the time, was you're supposed to pull your balls forward Put your dick so it's pointing straight upward and then pull the dance 
pants belt on, and it's supposed to hold your balls and your dick in place as you're moving around doing the various belly moves. So first day of class, we didn't know how you're supposed to wear this dance belt, so we had all pulled them on, and we had put our tights on and some of us guys as we were getting dressed were talking to each other going wow this really like seems to to squish everything really badly so we didn't know that you're supposed to especially have your dick pointing straight upward so (laughs) mine was pointed down to the left like it usually is kind of hanging out of the pouch of the dance belt a little bit. Some other guys were the same way, left, some to the right, some downward, some upward. And we go into class, and there was a male ballet teacher who was a rather flamboyant guy. And one of the first things he did is he lined us up, and he went person by person, walking in front of us, looking at us, and he said out loud, a lot of you are not wearing the dance belt correctly. And rather than just say, (laughs) pull your balls forward and have your dick pointing straight up, as he walked along the line, for those of us that had our dicks out of place, he would pull our tights forward. I kid you not, shove his hand down and pull our dick straight upward. And then he went down the line. About halfway through the line, everybody realized what the fuck he was doing. So the other guys started adjusting themselves so that when he got to them, he wouldn't have to adjust them. I was in the beginning of the line. I was like third or fourth person. So he did. He pulled my tights forward. He shoved his hand down there. He gave himself a little jolly feel and he stuck my dick pointing straight upward. I felt really uncomfortable in that class because he just seemed to be looking at us a little sexually. If we were trying to do a dance move and we were doing very poorly, I don't know if you've ever taken a class where you do yoga or something like that, where an instructor will come along and say, okay, just raise your hips up a little bit. And they might lightly touch you on the hips and raise it up a little bit to show you. This guy went beyond that. Rather than just holding us in place or giving a demonstration of what he really was looking for, he would grab us like from behind around our waist or around our shoulders or whatever and he would move us physically many times during this me and some of the other guys commented to each other that we could feel this guy press himself up against our asses as he would adjust us into the right position it wasn't a big enough deal that any of us went and you know talked to the administration about him, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. But looking back on it, again, the world being the way it is now, there's just no way that a teacher would be able to shove their hand down and move your dick the way that they wanted your dick. It was a very strange experience. We only had to take ballet for one semester, fortunately. We all did really awful. I mean, we got B grades. We weren't good, but we all showed up. We all tried our best. And fortunately, (laughs) that was the first semester of me being a musical theater major. The other two semesters I did it, I didn't have to deal with ballet at all. But again, the 1970s were just such a different time. The 
last story I'm going to tell you today is called The Orgy Ring Leader. And this story does not concern any of the faculty of Boston Conservatory. So I know some of you do not listen to the show all the way to the very end. So I do just want to mention again the ultimate story about what a faculty member did that honestly they would not only be kicked out of the school, but they would have some legal charges against them if it were done today. So please do check out an older gay guy show YouTube channel. So when I was accepted at Boston Conservatory, I had a girlfriend at the time. She was the girl that I eventually, a couple years later, became engaged to. But at this time, she was my girlfriend. And I was living at Boston Conservatory for my first year at the school. And my girlfriend and I, when I had been accepted and I was assigned to the dormitory, we went in and actually I kind of scammed my way past the security guy at the door to the dormitory because we wanted to check out the room that I was going to be going in in the fall. And we went in. The dormitories were in brownstone buildings. They, uh, the school had bought a bunch of brownstones, three or four levels, and they turned those into dormitories. And we went and saw my room that I was assigned to, and it was this really small little room, really kind of dumpy with this old fireplace that didn't work. Part of it was uh, cemented up, and it was just like a really, really depressing little room. So at that point, my mother was already deceased. Both my parents were deceased. So what I did, because I, I was a little bit of a grifter when I was younger, is I wrote a letter to Boston Conservatory, signing it from my mother, because they're not going to know if she was alive or dead, and saying that we had gone in and we had seen the room I was assigned to, and it was a little on the small, dumpy side. Could I be moved into a larger room? With roommates were fine, but something bigger because it was a gross little room. And what they did, to my surprise, was they assigned me a single room. And it was a really big room for a single. And so I moved in. And at that time now, I was 18 to 19 years old. And I was not officially out as a gay person. At that time, I hadn't really made up my mind what I was going to do. I had my girlfriend and eventually got engaged to her, but I was sleeping with guys at the same time. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And the odd thing about Boston Conservatory of Music, now, the way that they advertised the school was the Boston Conservatory of Music, Music Dance Theater. So the people that went there were some musicians and some dancers and some musical theater people and some straight drama people. And wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that a fine arts school like that, training people in especially musical theater, that that would just be filled with a bunch of homos, you know? I mean, doesn't it just make sense, right? So I was really surprised that... Not only were there no gay people that I knew of in the drama, theater, musical theater department, even in the dance department, I didn't know of any gay guys. 
I'm sure there were, but I guess because it was the 70s, maybe people weren't comfortable stating so. So I found out pretty quickly that when someone was suspected of being gay, that they were bullied. And they were bullied by guys that were in the musical theater department, that were in the dance department. And that really shocked me. I was really... It just felt like that would be a place where you could go and you'd be totally comfortable being yourself. I'm sure today, in today's world, it is. I'm sure that people are very open about it, but not back then. And so I was having sex with guys. There was one student that I ended up having sex with quite often. I was also sleeping with girls. I had my girlfriend that was staying with me on and off at my mother's house. And I was also sleeping with a couple girls at Boston Conservatory of Music. And I just wasn't sure what I wanted to be. I knew I was attracted to guys primarily, but I didn't know if I was comfortable enough to be a gay person. So this single room that I was assigned to was really big, and it was big enough that I had a bed. I was able to put a couch in there, an armchair. I had a dresser, I had a desk, and then the closet. And so just me living in this nice, beautiful room. It was great. It was awesome for that year. And because I heard guys, guys right in the room next to me who had one, two, three, four of them lived in that room, and it was a huge, huge room, but four of them lived in there. One was a voice major, and three of them were musical theater majors, and they had been bullying some people. And I wasn't comfortable standing up and announcing that I was gay and fucking get over it and deal with me and you better not bully me. You know, it wasn't like me trying to help that poor girl that was accompanying the chorus. It was different because we were in a living situation. We were in each other's rooms all the time. We pretty much left our doors open. People came in and out and we shared just one bathroom per floor. There was one, two, three, four or five rooms per floor. And there was only one big bathroom per floor. So therefore, we all became really comfortable with each other in that if somebody was showering and another guy had to take a shit, they just kind of went in, hey, I'm in here. And you'd kind of chat with the guy while he was showering, and then he'd get out and be drying himself off, and you'd be talking to him while you're wiping your ass and shit. So it, it was a relaxed atmosphere in that respect, but it was not relaxed enough that if you were gay that you would ever feel comfortable stating so. So my room kind of became one of the areas where people would congregate when I'd leave my door open because... I got along pretty much with everybody, and we had a lot of fun, and we did a lot of partying, we did a lot of drinking, we smoked some weed, we did some coke, and it was just like a party atmosphere constantly. And so what I did in order to kind of continue the illusion that I was not gay was that I got porn magazines. I went and I bought Playboy and Penthouse I also would buy Playgirl, and 
a few other magazines. I think I got a lesbian magazine was there also. And because I had this stack of magazines, people would come in and be like, well, why do you have like Play Girl and all that? And I'm like, well, that's for the girls. It was guys on one floor, girls on the other floor, guys on the next one, girls on the other one. So it's like, you know, if girls are going to hang out with me and stuff, I want them to have something to read. Guys have the Playboys and the penthouses and in case there's any lesbians, I have those too. So we would just sit around in my room on the couch and on the bed and we'd be smoking weed and looking at all the magazines. And girls started hanging out with the guys when they started dating. They'd hang out in my room. And so I got this idea in my head, like, hmm, I wonder if I can get some of these guys to fool around with me or at least fool around in my presence. So on Saturday nights, I began to have a core group of people that would hang out in my room. And because we're smoking weed, I'd close the door and I'd open the window. And it being nighttime, it was usually late at night, I'd keep the lights really low. And some of us started hooking up in the room where all the other people were. And at one point, there was two straight couples, two guys and two girls together. There was this other guy that I had slept with a few times. And then there were two gay guys there as well. The guy I had hooked up with a few times was a student at Boston Conservatory, but the gay guys, the couple, were not from my school. But they used to come over and hang out in the dorm, and people kind of got used to seeing them. And we all started having sex one night. Like, it started out with just the straight guys doing shit. And then, like, the gay guys kind of figured, well, they're busy, not really paying attention. And so the guys started doing stuff. And then me and the guy I had dated a little bit, we started doing stuff. But then I moved to one of the girls, and it, it just became this, like, really weird situation. And week after week, we would get together. And each time we would begin to do a little bit more, you know, so by the end of the semester, we, we just did this the first semester, we would just get together on a Saturday night, we would close the door, we would lock the door, we would all take all our clothes off. And we'd just kind of be in this big pile of people doing stuff. And sometimes like someone would stop and they'd just say, okay, I just want to watch tonight. And so they'd sit and they'd watch couples do stuff. Sometimes they'd jerk off while they're watching. The straight guys that were, had girlfriends, their girlfriends weren't always there. So sometimes if it was just a straight guy by himself, he would end up watching stuff and he started watching the gay stuff as well. So this being the 70s, the straight guys were using condoms. The gay guys, of course, were not. We didn't know we had to, so we didn't. And it was one of the only times that I did something in a group, and especially a group that would kind of get together on a regular basis. And by the end of the semester, not only were we all comfortable enough to take all our clothes off and, and do stuff in front of each other, but it's people used to talk about it and it would get around that I had this orgy going on in my room on Saturday nights. And sometimes people would want to participate, but 
we had our core group that was really comfortable with each other. We knew enough to keep our mouths shut, especially about the gay sex. But a few ended up leaking out information. And so people would ask, hey, can I participate? And we'd all talk about it like, I don't know, should we should we open it up to more people? Isn't that just asking for trouble? And so we kept it that closed core group. But because people had heard about it and they wanted to participate and we were saying no, they all decided that they were going to just spread the information out to everyone. And so by the end of the semester, it had spread around the school that I was having orgies on Saturday night in my room. And I started really getting a lot of hate stuff. Notes stuck to my door just saying, get out of here, faggot, or, uh, you know, you're a homo, go away. Just all these really cruel things. And so I decided at the end of the semester that I was not going to live at the school in my sophomore year. I decided I'll just live at my mom's house with my girlfriend that I had at the time. And I would commute in and out of the school, you know, on the train. And I did that for that second year and then into my third year. And then I dropped out. Things were just too crazy for me. I I was mentally just uh, fucked up beyond belief. So after that first semester at the Boston Conservatory of Music, I then left for the second semester. That is when my storytime episode titled Don't Piss on My Hollywood Star of Fame occurred. And then I returned to the conservatory for my second year, now as a musical theater major. My girlfriend moved in with me and stayed with me through the rest of my studies at the Boston Conservatory of Music, and then also through my studies at the Funeral Director and Embalmer College. It was after my graduation from Funeral Directing College that I moved to Cape Cod, broke up with my girlfriend, and publicly came out as gay at age 25. So folks, be sure to check out that really shocking fourth story over on an Older Gay Guy Show's YouTube channel with another storytime video about my second year now as a musical theater major. I will put a link to the drama teacher's underwear in the show notes of today's episode. Meanwhile, this is Joey Hernandez. Thank you so very much for joining me today please do consider subscribing to the podcast and the YouTube channel. Hugs to you guys. Bye for now.